This is CliffCentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and CliffCentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law. Like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life. With Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg, and this is the Laws of Life on CliffCentral.com. Alongside me today, Lionel Mokokotlela. Who's it, Lines? Goedemiddag, uh, <laughs> Gary, and bonjour to our guest and to everybody who speaks French out there. Why the French bit, Lines? Because we've got a, a guest who speaks French very well, and she lived in Paris. Not Paris. Par- no, no. Paris, not Paris, yeah. in Free State. And yeah, she's quite an amazing soul. And I can't wait to hear her story. Now we're going to hear it loud and clear. Okay. Lines, uh, this week and this month mark 16 days of activism. It's also International Women's Human Rights Defenders Day. Wow. Tomorrow, in fact. Great. So we know, tragically, that violence against women and children is a scourge in our country. Mm. Gary, don't say much more on that note because it's very getting much out of hand and every single day there's something happening to women and the vulnerable children in this country. Yeah, Lance, last week, which was great to hear and, and see, our courts sent out a very strong and powerful message when they passed sentence on Oscar Pistorius and Christopher Panayetu in Port Elizabeth. And that is, if you strike our women, what you deserve is what you'll get. Where did you get this? I don't know where I found it, lads, but there you go. You keep, you keep surprising me. Every week you've got a song coming up. Yeah. Some of them are after quite enjoyable, I must tell you. No, they are, but I think maybe you should become a DJ. Have you ever thought about it? Yeah, lines of my age. Anyway, joining us in studio today is the South African born Australian woman who was brutally raped in Paris and left for dead some years ago. She's been with us before. Welcome back, Claire McFarlane. Hello. Hi. Great to be back. Yeah. Also with us is a lady called Celia Fulmalta, and she is a doctor, but not a medical doctor. You're a doctor. Explain what your uh, where your doctorate comes from. Um, okay. So, um, hello, everybody. I am... Um, a nurse that did a PhD in forensic nursing. So that is my speciality. And I look after victims of violence and crime. Good. Okay, so you are Dr. Fulmata. Welcome to you. Thank you. From attached to the University of Pretoria. Yes, I am. You lecture there as well. Yes, I do. She's my homie. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this show is presented in collaboration with our partner, Legal Talk South Africa, one of the biggest or largest South African Facebook groups. Yes, that really deals with everything to do with law on their web, uh, on their, on their website page. But needless to say, if you really want to touch base with us, you can actually do so by actually visiting our Facebook page or doing it via our, um, is it Twitter? Twitter Yeah, Twitter handle. handle. Yeah, which is at Hetzlaw, H 
E-R-T-Z-L-A-W H-E-R-T-Z-L-A-W You'll definitely give out the website As well yeah, as the Facebook email address page for, we also have a number of international listeners. I know we have people in Australia, mm-hmm. and there are going to be many more after listening this. Yeah, after, yeah. after this, listening to Claire. We have people in Australia, England, USA, all over the place. We're growing yeah. internationally. That's great. Thank you very much to all our podcasters for their support and constantly downloading our podcast because that really says a lot about the information that we are sending out. Our Facebook page, The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg. Have a look at it, please, and give us a like. We'd appreciate it. Uh, certainly. Claire, welcome back. As I said, uh, you, when you were last here, Claire, you told us how you were beaten and violently raped while on a dream trip to Paris. You're lucky to be alive today. You were very young at the time, not that you're old now. Uh, there, there are a number, number of people who have not heard your agonizing story. Maybe take us back a bit. Yeah, sure, Gary. Um, so we'll rewind to 1999. So quite a while ago now. Um, I uh, was living in Paris. I was there uh, studying fine arts as a student, but I also worked to finance my stay. And uh, sadly, walking home to a taxi one night after work, a man intercepted my path. Um, very brutal rape. Um, he tried to kill me a number of times during the attack. Um, and I'm, I'm quite lucky to be alive today. Mm. Uh, th- thanks to my own sort of, um, I suppose, uh, survival skills. Um, I fought very, very hard to get away. And um, what actually saved me was when I began talking to him. I actually told him a lie and told him I was dying, that I was terminally ill. And, and that's what saved my life. Um, they didn't catch him at the time. And so I was um, glad to be alive and uh, terrified about living in Paris. So I moved back to Australia to take up my studies and very quickly went into denial, which is what a lot of survivors do. Mm. Um, for me, I never denied the fact that I was raped, but I did deny that it had impacted my life in any way. And so for 10 years, I filled up every waking moment with something to do. And in 2009, so almost three weeks before the 10-year mark of my rape, I got a call from the French police in Paris. Um, they asked me if I could get to Paris within 48 hours to do a lineup. They thought they had caught the man. Fortunately, I was living in Switzerland, so I was actually there in Geneva and could get there in time, and I ID'd him straight away. And that's when my world really fell apart. Um I didn't realize I would remember this man 10 years later. Yeah, yeah that, that is something. Obviously, made a hell of an impact, uh, which is to be expected. We laugh about it, but uh, yeah, he, he certainly yeah, did. You were yeah. 21 at the time of the rape. Yes, yes. Um, what about DNA? Did they link anything on that? Yeah, so actually at the time they were able to find DNA, and that's that's why they apprehended him. So um, he, has, he was a serial rapist, so he'd actually done it before, mm. um, and there was – Two solid cases of DNA, mine and another another woman, and um, he'd actually reoffended in 2007. So two years before they caught him, there was a real mess up with the DNA. I mean, they almost lost it numerous times, um, and it was actually thanks to a young police officer that found files that hadn't been archived mm-hmm. into the online database, um, a bit like what they call CODIS in the USA. Um, and there was this hit. Um, with these two unsolved cases and that's what sort of opened up the case again and then with my identification and the other victim actually also positively ID'd the man um, and then what followed 
was what I would call a very difficult and expensive journey through a legal system, justice system in France. Um, in France, it's a different law system. It's called inquisitory law mm. or Napoleon law. So the victim is actually um, a civil party in criminal proceedings, not a witness for the state, yeah. which meant I had to find my own legal counsel and also pay for it. Um, the uh, justice process lasted six years. So I only finally had closure in October of 2015. Uh, my attacker was sentenced. Um, he had he received 12 years in jail. Um, he never served that, though. He was released after um, about three and a half years. When you saw him in court, did he talk to you? Did he make eye contact? Did anything happen? Yeah, look, courts courts are very, very difficult experience. Courts aren't set up to protect victims. Mm. Um, you know, so he was very seated very close to where I was. It's intimate. I mean, it wasn't much larger than the studio, actually, where we are mm. now. Mm. Um, for the listeners, um, imagine your lounge room at home. Uh, and um, he actually was sitting perpendicular to me, so looking directly. I mean, he looked directly at me. Mm. Um he was a very proud man, um, didn't carry a lot of remorse. Um, he didn't talk to me directly. He had to give a witness, his own statement of, um, uh, um, I don't know what you would call it. Of defense. Um, yes, which is, um, not. Did he, did he deny the rape? He never admitted to it. He said that he was, um, it was a period in his life where he was under the influence of alcohol and drugs and he was, uh, living on the streets, which unfortunately, didn't stick with uh, the testimony given by myself and the other victim. I mean, those are the, the very first things I looked at because I was this man. This man was extremely skilled at combat, and we found out that he was a black belt in karate. Mm. Um, he was armed. He had a can of mace. He had a knife, and he had a gun. Mm. And um, he used the knife on me. He threatened to shoot me. So I was very afraid during the attack. And and I actually, in my mind, I remember actually thinking to myself. Is this man under the influence of anything? Because what am I dealing with? Yes. Um, and also he was very well dressed, not dressed like someone living on the streets, you know, um, perfectly ironed clothing, white chino pants. So his whole argument failed in court, but he never, he never sort of said I did it or I, um, it was very strange. He, he said, I never did it. Can't remember anything, but I'm sorry. Yes. So, but it wasn't sincere. Sorry. So, um, but it wasn't, it was a very powerful experience in the court hearing. There was a, um, the way it's set up, there's 12 juror, there's nine civilians and three professional judges. Um, and the Jura, head, jurors. Yes, yeah. yes. And the jurors, the head judge actually leads the proceedings. So the head judge is impartial and that's who asks the questions. Um, and then you have the state present prosecution and then you have the the victims um, separately. We had to get our own separate legal counsel. What, what did it cost you, Claire? The cost of just the legal component, uh, which is, was over 20,000 euros, which is oh. about um, 300,000 rand. Jeepers. That wasn't... What happens if people can't afford it? Would the case have not gone ahead? No. not Well, it would have gone ahead for the other lady because she was French and she could actually get a court-appointed lawyer. Mm. It's never free for her, though. Mm. So that lawyer will take up to 50% of her compensation. If there is compensation. Talking of which, were you compensated? 
So I was compensated in, uh, this is very, this is a very complex, complex, uh, story. Um, what had happened when, when the case was archived, which was about three years after the attack, there was a hearing, which I wasn't involved with. And that was the compensation hearing. And I received a small payout from that. Mm. Um, it was enough for me to pay off my bills because I had to pay all the hospital bills from the attack, um, and all the costs associated. So most of that money went to that. Um, and anyway, when my lawyer was actually helping me because she believed I hadn't been sufficiently compensated and because of going through the whole court proceeding, um, again, and, and having to relive my trauma, she put in a request for further compensation. Um, we found out that, um, the lawyer who had actually originally, um, dealt with the first compensation had taken more than 50%. Mm. Oh, really? Because it hadn't back then. There was no system in place. It's changed now in France because it obviously was happening a lot, mm. um, and that that was the very sticky point because in France you aren't compensated because of a criminal hearing. Mm. You're compensated because of the of attack itself. However, if you catch the criminal ten years later, and you force a victim to relive over and over again for six years, what happened? Uh, you, you're causing trauma, but the court said that I had there was no trauma. How do you feel about sharing the story all the time? You've, you've run across the world. We'll talk about that. Yes. D- does it does it relieve anything, or does it make it does it aggravate things, or is it just a story you tell as though you weren't even there? Yeah. No. It's it's sometimes it's, it's actually a mix of all three. Um, I've I've really healed now. Um, I, I do believe the journey of healing. <clears throat> When it comes to sexual violence in particular is going to be a life journey. It'll, it's going to come back through my life. Mm. But I'm, I'm a much stronger person and I've accepted how it's affected me, um, done a lot of work and, um, I feel very ready to speak. And I, and the, the fact that for sharing my story, I think what's the most important is that it inspires others and it gives others courage to break their silence. And so that's, that's what motivates me the most because if I can, if I can help just one person, like one person today listening, if my story inspires them to reach out and tell someone and, and, and go and get help, mm. that's, that's, that's so powerful. Um, but I still, it, it, it comes and goes. I mean, there's moments where I, you know, I'm, I'm often saddened by my story because this journey, and we'll talk about it soon, I'm seeing how sexual violence is being handled around the world. And sometimes I see these wonderful processes and I, and it pains me because I know I didn't get to have that. And I, and I, I know, I mean, I extreme, you know, I was re-victimized over and over again by a system. Um, and so, um, so sometimes it, you know, that, that hurts to talk about, but, but, but ultimately I think it's, you know, the more I share it, the stronger I get and, and the more I get to help others. You embarked on what we're going to call a journey. That was when, two, three years ago. No, uh, no, more. last year. Last, last year. year. Last year. 18th of yeah. July, um, 2016. Tell us what's happened to you and what, what you've been through in the last year and a half, really. Yes. So, mm. so this journey, um, actually is a mega social adventure, I suppose you could call it. Um, I'm running 16 kilometers of beach in every country of the world. Mm. So it's 230 countries with the specific purpose of creating a dialogue around sexual violence. Uh, so I started here on the 18th of July, which is the anniversary of my rape. Mm. It happens to also be Mandela Day. Yes. Um, and I started on the beaches of Broberg Strand in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. 
And from there I have, I headed across to the Pacific. Um, and I've traveled to about six different regions of the world now and 32 countries. Uh, and 33 beaches. I've run two beaches in one of the countries. It's, um, life-changing journey. Amazing. Um, I've got a very long way to go still. Um, You've been featured on CNN, which is something. Do you remember that interview? Yes, that was in the Where, Philippines. Yeah. How did they, how did it come about? Uh, so I had actually just run in Singapore before I, uh, ran in the Philippines and it was someone I met in Singapore. Um, it was very interesting and I think this is what the journey is, is doing. Um, I've really noticed that people want to talk about sexual violence. They just don't know how to. Mm-hmm. And by using something like running and beach running, it, it's creating this really safe, non-confrontational environment to start mm-hmm. speaking. And so a lot of people joined me in Singapore for the run. Uh, Singapore is quite unusual because um, they recognize that sexual violence happens, but they just don't believe it happens there. Mm-hmm. And of course it does. Yeah. Um, so I had quite a big media a media following there. And from that, CNN heard about me in the Philippines um, and asked me if I'd like to do a, a profile story. Really beautiful story in two parts. They did a short version and then an actual 30-minute uh, sort of mini documentary mm-hmm. um, all around uh, freedom. Um, that was sort of the theme because um, – it was Freedom Day in the Philippines when I was there. Wow. I think I think the interview I think I saw it. It's on uh, YouTube. If you just Google Claire McFarlane, and uh, it'll be there. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Also, you've been uh, you've been announced as an ambassador for peace. Yes. Where did that happen? Uh, that happened this year in May. Um, I haven't actually, uh, it's just been, this, this journey is very intense. Um, I'm doing it all on my own, uh, in terms of the planning and, um, reaching out. So, cause I just don't run in each country. I reach out to NGOs, organizations, governments, services, survivors. Um, so I'm trying to, uh, create, uh, sort of an observation of what is happening around the world for survivors of sexual violence. Mm. And so, um, so there's a lot, um, it's very intense planning for the journey. Um, and, um, actually, I've, sorry, I've gone off and I've <laughs> missed the question. Um, we were talking about your, your ambassador being yes, announced yes, ambassador yeah, for peace. Yeah. I, can, I can also ask yeah. you, which is, I really want to get to, Tell us what's happening in the continent of Africa based on your runs in Namibia and East Africa. Yes. How do they view this? Ooh, um, sexual violence huge issue in Africa. Um, mm. And I think, you know, it's the continent where most of the world focuses on. So there's actually a lot happening in Africa around sexual violence, violence against women, uh, violence against children. Um, out of from my journey so far, I'd say it's actually the, the continent that, that has um, the best funding in the space as well but it's ravaging i mean it's ravaging africa uh in terms of namibia um Phenomenal. I mean, the movie really surprised me. They have one of the best laws I've ever seen around rape and sexual mm-hmm. violence. Mm-hmm. Um, their law breaks down the myths of what rape is. Uh, the law basically says that rape is, um, the act of, uh, a sexual act through coercion. And then they define what sexual acts are. Uh, which just doesn't mean um, penis in vagina. It's everything that could be a sexual act. And then coercion is everything that often gets scrutinized for a victim in the court of law. It's about, um, because the thing is, 
sexual violence rape isn't always about a struggle and a fight. We know most people who experience sexual violence, it's by someone they know. Mm. And they might be so terrified that they let it happen because they're afraid of losing their life. Mm. Um, and so there might not be physical injuries. There might not be a struggle. So this law in, in Namibia takes into all of that into account. It's intimidation through force, being under the influence of drugs and alcohol. It's, it's basically every kind of situation where you can't consent. Um, and you, 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 and we don't want to consent. So, mm. so amazing. So Namibia really amazing. Um, up into East Africa as well. Uh, lots, lots of, um, interesting programs. I've seen some amazing things in Africa. Uh, I look forward to showing it more. Um, when we've got more time. Absolutely. And then, you know, and South Africa too. I know it's a huge issue here. I mean, it's affecting, I mean, everyone. So many people have a story. If it's not their own story, it's someone they know. Um, but there's there's good things happening here as well. Claire, you you're the one who invited Dr. Phil Malta, and you're the one who said, "Gary, she's got to be on the show." Yes. Her name is Celia. Mm-hmm. Why did you want her here? And then we'll ask her to talk to us. Yes, yes, absolutely. So I actually recently met Celia. Um, Celia is a specialist in forensics when it comes to um, forensics around uh, sexual violence and violence cases. Um, Celia also has a lot of experience helping survivors here in South Africa. Um, worked a lot in the emergency units in hospitals, the Tutuzela care centers. Um, so someone with incredible knowledge and incredible knowledge very relevant to some exciting things happening in South Africa. Yeah. Celia, I think I read an article that in which you said, and it may be misquoted, so correct me if it's wrong. I think you said that the statistic is that someone is raped every 35 seconds in South Africa. Is that true? That is true. If you work it out statistically, it is every 35 seconds somebody in South Africa is raped. Is this a female and men? or This just? includes children, men, um, females, um, elderly people, because it's not... Rape is not a, um, a, a um, now I lost my words. Oh my goodness. It's not a crime that is specific to a gender, an age group. It yeah. happens everywhere. So that is all of the statistics. Together. That is absolutely frightening. Um, I, I, I thought it's got to be, it's good. There's got to be a typo here. It just can't be. As we talk, every 35 seconds, someone, God forbid, is getting raped. Yes. Is that what's happening in this beautiful country? That, I mean, is. That is, and unfortunately, the services that are provided to them are we, we are just drowning in in um, lack of ability, lack of knowledge, lack of skills to actually care for these people because nowhere. And they've done studies in um, in Cape Town as well as Joburg to say that uh, healthcare professionals we are we are not trained to look after these people, mm. and everything about it. Is so against how we are how we are taught to manage diseases because you can't just give a tablet and it will go away. Mm. This is something that you have to treat in a long term um, um, manner. And Claire is like she's like inspiration. So we're going to start doing research now to make a clinical pathway for people that are actually exposed to gender-based violence in the private setting. Because if you get raped or or you are Exposed to gender-based violence in, and you use the public health system, there's quite good, um, 
systems in place. Um, the Tutuzela care centers are absolutely fantastic. And where, they, where are they and how many are there? So I'm not quite sure how many they are. I know mm. there's one in um, Tembisa and then mm. there's one in Mamalodi. Are they only for, for rape victims? So they are for, for rape victims specifically and they, mm. they there's actually a one-stop service. There's a... Um, a, a attorney there There's a social worker The police They they work very closely to, With the police But the problem is If something happens to you And you live in a, You have a medical aid And you live in I don't know Santon Santon Where yeah. do you go? Because mm. now Some of the private Some of the private hospitals Do provide a service but not all of them. So, mm. so the problem is that the, the service that these people do get is very wide and, and varying on who is on duty. Mm-hmm. Wow. Let's talk about the forensic side. How do you, what does that mean in, in right. practice? Yeah. So the forensic side in practice means that actually the collection of the evidence. So you get the, vi- I, uh, in an emergency department, they're not yet survivors. They come in and they are victim because it's just happened to them. And if you think that rape is all about power, that, that their power has been taken away from them. So, mm. so as a nurse, your first job is to try and establish that power relationship again and say, well, nothing you did actually caused this to happen to you. Mm-hmm. And then to start with collecting the evidence. And, and sometimes it's very traumatic because some people, they go to the police station first. And then it's, it's like that when they come to the emergency department, they're very traumatized. Mm-hmm. And emergency departments are the place where they actually come or, or, or they walk in and they tell you they raped and some people have no idea what to do. So they let the person sit in the corner and everybody pass the bucket mm. because yes. they don't know what to do. Mm. So there's a few centers and, and, and right now the only place where we actually train forensic nurses is in Bloemfontein. Mm. So my mission is to actually start with a course in, at the University of Pretoria so that we can start training, um, nurses, training nurses on how to handle what? On how to handle the sexual assault victim because yeah. the way that you talk to them is, is, is different. Oh, yes. It's different yeah. to how you approach any other patient. Mm-hmm. And then you have to collect the evidence and the collection of it. No, of yeah, absolutely. Now, if there's semen on the person, who collects that? So, so it, it's normally the doctor or mm. a forensic trained nurse mm. that they are allowed to do it. And the, 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 the evidence collection kits sometimes to get, it's quite difficult because you have to wait for the police to bring you an evidence collection kit mm. and then actually start collecting the, the evidence. And it's very intimate because you need to, you need to really go into places where nobody ever used show to nobody else except mm. your life partner. Mm. So, so that is sometimes the hardest part. And will the, will the nurses you train, cha, uh, train be able to do this? Yes. Yes. This I, is, yeah. This is what this is about. This is, extent, yes. Yeah. So, so I was trained and I actually, I had to go and give expert witness in court, mm. which was very frightening because the defense lawyer tried to make me look incompetent. Absolutely. Because mm. I'm only a nurse. But in actual fact, I've had a lawyer that said that he has never seen such a good JITI than the one that a nurse has actually um, completed. He said, I can actually feel the emotion in this JITI mm. where, where I'm, I'm not sure. Um, healthcare pr- providers, they shy away from looking after Sexual assault victims. Are these rape kits only held by the police, or are they held at the clinics or hospitals? Or where? So, so um, 
it, there, there is a law. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the law is or, or what the policy is, but it's only kept by the police. Mm. And then they bring you the kit. And if you're lucky, if you have a good relationship with the police, mm. then they will. You have one in your in your unit, and then it gets swapped. So mm-hmm. they bring you a new one and mm. you give them. So okay. you don't have to wait for them. But mm. then to to get that network up and actually become friends with the police, the social workers, the um, victim empowerment um, organizations, it takes a lot of work. Can I add something yes, about please. the forensic kits? Because yeah. it's come up a lot in the journey um, mm. and I've seen some really good practice mm. where a one-stop center or units and hospitals have a special space where they have kits allocated for each type of sexual violence crime. Kits are very expensive. They have a, because there is a law mandating what a kit needs to contain and that is for the chain of evidence. So when it comes to court, you have to make sure that the evidence hasn't been tampered with, that the, the DNA swab actually is a certain standard so that it can keep the DNA because these kits aren't tested straight away. Like a swab can actually be stored for up to five years. Say the, say the victim doesn't want to lay a complaint but changes their mind mm. four years later, but there is, they've collected evidence. That kit can be pulled back out and that DNA swab can be tested. But if it's not done on a mandated standard swab, there could be contamination or breakdown. So there's all of these little things. So that's why the kit's so expensive. And so I understand that here in South Africa is why it's complicated because they haven't found out another way of potentially managing kits so they're more accessible to healthcare providers. Um, but then sort of working around this chain of evidence and I suppose theft as well is another big issue. Yeah. What I'd like to talk about, and either of you or both of you can take this one, we, uh, the, 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 the government was talking about rolling out the sexual offences courts. What's going on with that right now? I think you are quite up to date on that, Claire. Yeah, I'm very excited about this. Yeah. And um, the reason why is um, I was in Cambodia this year, uh, earlier in the year, and had a very informal discussion with a lawyer who specializes in sexual violence there. And he had said to me, he said, what we need in the world is specialized sexual violence courts. This is how we solve the problem because what we want to do is we want to create an environment that is safe for survivors to come forward. And we also want to send a message to the public and to perpetrators that there is, there's going to be punishment. Um, there, you know, that impunity isn't, isn't, doesn't exist. Mm. Um, and also, you know, because there's just so many complexities when it comes to sexual violence in terms of eliminating trauma. Um, you know, your key evidence is your victim, mm. you know, but you, you don't handle, you, but you've got to handle them in a specific way. And, mm. um, so anyway, so I heard this and, and I was, but he'd said to me it would never happen. And for a number of reasons, one, because of costs, um, you know, the coordination for governments. And also he said lawyers might not want to be part of this because, mm. You know, it's not if some a lawyer's got a, a building a strong career and diversity of of crime, they're not going to want to just specialize in sexual violence potentially. So there's a number of things. Anyway, I came to South Africa and found out about these sexual violence courts um, campaign being rolled out um, at a government level, but also being, uh, I'd say, um, pushed for through rape crisis in Cape Town. You've seen one in Weinberg in the Cape, haven't you? Yeah, the first one started, yeah. so the first one in the world. So yeah. South Africa is a leader in the world. It's the first one oh, in the world. started in 1993. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of evidence um, and studies to, to uh, uphold why it's so important to have a sexual violence court, even if it is just to protect children. 
Mm. I mean, really, when it comes down to yeah. it. I, I read somewhere, Claire, that uh, these courts are, are painted in a in a different way. They're child friendly. In, in child-friendly colors, the furniture is different and suitable for children. Yeah. They have closed-circuit TV systems installed so that the kids don't have to face their attacker, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Marvelous. So, and the people that are running these courts should be specifically trained and properly trained. Well, that's it, exactly. Yeah. So, so, um, so the that's the the magistrate the judges themselves will have specific training the um the lawyers involved will have training um mm. services but it's an exciting it's an exciting approach because it allows for a really strong coordination amongst everyone involved mm-hmm. um as well so you get a better outcome as well yeah. um you're going to eliminate trauma so so south africa um has wanted to start them back up again um and but the exciting part of this one is it's not to make these courts specific to only certain locations which means that not everyone gets equal rights to justice mm-hmm. the idea is that these courts roll out in every magistrate in south africa which is over 230 yeah it won't be immediately it's going to take time because there's mm-hmm. money involved Absolutely. and um you know a lot of logistics and planning mm-hmm. um but the exciting thing is that when that happens it means someone Someone in a really small township somewhere is going to get the same justice as someone here in Johannesburg. Well, let's talk about someone you referred me to. It's Jean Budenstein. She's from the Rape Crisis Cape Town Trust. And uh, thank you for putting me on to her. Yes. She's just issued us with a press release. And she says that uh, on the on the 25th of November... When is that? Is that? Are we past that? Yeah, that was on Saturday. That, that was, was the start of 16 days of activism. Yeah, absolutely. She says they're going to, uh, uh, during the last week of the 16 days of activism, we're going to invite the public to join us and demonstrate in front of the Kailicha Magistrates Court on the 5th of December. That's when it's going to happen from 10 to 12 to demand a sexual offenses courtroom to be established in Kailicha. Yeah. She says that the the problem there, the problem of rape and sexual abuse is terrible in that area. Yes. Wow. Absolutely frightening. Yeah. And uh, they they desperate for this court. Yeah, so no. We, we want anyone in in the Cape province that's or near, please go ahead and support uh Jean Bodenstein. She's at rapecrisis.org.za. Jean, G-J-E-A-N-N-E, at rapecrisis.org.za. Please look them up. Uh, you'll get their phone number and all the, all the rest. Please try and support this initiative. Fantastic. No, absolutely. And, um, you know, the really exciting thing is it's happening. I, I know there's been a lot of, um, you know, if someone Googles it now, they'll see there's a lot of um, negative press, I suppose, around it from the years before because mm. they opened the one in Weinberg, then they shut it back down. But this is this is a go-ahead, and from what I understand, and the president's even signed off on it, so um, it's happening. Good, good. These, yeah, these kind of discussions is what also accelerates things. Well, yeah. I think we need to understand, don't we? I mean, if, yeah. if someone out there now is listening and they're a, a, a rape survivor or a survivor of any kind of sexual assault or mm-hmm. violence, um, you know, you have questions, you're confused. We don't, no one spends their life researching to understand how this happens. Mm-hmm. You kind of deal with it when it happens to you or you don't deal with it. And I think um, if we understand why forensics, for example, is so important when you go to hospital, you don't have to report now. If you're not ready for court, you don't have to go to court. But if they've got the evidence stored somewhere and if it's done well and you change your mind a year from now and you feel stronger and ready, 
you can you can go ahead with a with a court hearing, and that and that's why it's so critical to to understand what this all means and what the process is. Claire McFarlane also needs. Some kind of donations, if you're happy to donate, please go to her. Where do we look you up? On my website. Um, yeah. So the name of the project uh, has has changed since we yeah. last talked um, because I, I have realized how sexual violence is affecting everyone. This isn't just a woman's issue or there's no specific stereotype. So the project's called Footsteps to Inspire. And the website is footstepstoinspire.org. To you, Celia, I know you want to chip in and you've got a minute or so to tell us what you're up to and how you're going to help us. All right. So um, what I think is important that everybody that listens um, realize if is, especially healthcare providers, the, the time the victim comes into the emergency department is the only time we have to actually collect the evidence. And we will keep it for you until such a time as you are ready to open the case. And I have had a success story of a woman that came down, came around two years late and said, please, can you, can I have my kit? And we actually convicted the perpetrator. Fantastic. Many, many thanks to both of you. Uh, you. Where do people get hold of you or look you up, Celia? Um, (laughs) Probably at the University of Pretoria. If you just go to the website, Department of Nursing, you'll find me there. Okay. Uh, This is Dr. Celia Fulmalter. F-I-L-M-A-L-T-E-R, if you want to Google her. There's a wonderful articles that she writes, and she's been fantastic. Keep up the good work. We need people like you. Claire, where to from here? Thank you. Uh, so at the moment, um, I've run out of money because uh, I've been funding the journey myself. So, But I'm not going to let that stop me. It's all worked out so far. So I have faith it's all going to work out. So next stop is the Middle East. Ooh, in a couple of weeks That's going to be interesting It will be yeah. um, It will be So um, not all of the Middle Eastern countries The ones that I can safely run in at the moment But then mm. um, And then and then on to South America after that Wow Good, it's been a great discussion Many thanks for joining us on Cliff Central And we hope to see you again You'll report back to us, Claire I will, We, we do keep in touch Yes with us, yeah. <laughs> And may I just say one last little thing sure. um, I know that often if someone out there is hearing this And, and needs someone to share and don't know who um, I have a I have a Facebook page that they can reach out Please. I answer yeah. every message yeah. And it's Footsteps to Inspire And so if you need to share your story with someone Please share it Good, cool Thank you. See you again. To our listeners, please don't run away. We have a great insert now on lightning. It's that time of year where you've got to be really careful. We're going to tell you how to prevent yourself from getting injured or hurt or your possessions. We'll be right back. This is CliffCentral.com.